Stargate Rewatch Podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 1, Episode 8, Brief Candle. This is another good one I like from Season 1. It's definitely up there in the, the, the sort of the top half of the season for me, at least. I'm finding definitely with all the ones of, with all the episodes of Season 1, I remember them a lot quicker when it gets to the episode where I'm immediately like oh yeah that's right this one yeah <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know if that'll happen the whole time maybe it's just because I've rewatched season one more than the others mm-hmm. um to bring it quickly to memory but yeah this is definitely one of the ones where I'm like oh that's right this is like this the one. oh <laughs> yeah this is the one that's like scandalous well did but you notice was- when the episode starts it has a nudity warning I didn't on, huh. When it starts on Netflix, it has a it has a warning for nudity. That's interesting. Well, not it's you know like the little um, rating that pops up yeah. in the corner. Yeah. I wonder if that's for the series or for the episode. I'll have to pay attention next week then and see. Well, if they all have a nudity rating, then I'm watching the wrong episodes. <laughs> it might just be for the series. I don't because know. the only nudity's been in episode one. Well, I don't know. How often does everybody have their shirt off? Is that considered nudity enough to put a warning yeah. on it? I don't, yeah, is a shirtless man enough for nudity, or does it have to be shirtless women? Because, you know, men's tits are fine. Women's tits are not, apparently. Yes. I don't know. I guess I'll, I'll have to pay attention when we not watch the episode for next week and see if it also has the nudity warning on it. <laughs> they all have nudity. How disappointing if you're watching that and you're like, what? Like, nudity in all of these? Yay, oh, nudity. Man. Oh, Dang, there isn't any. I'm going to stop watching this show. Not enough nudity. Yeah. Although this is the second time we see Jack shirtless, though. Also, I noticed at this point in the series, since he's obviously the, um, you know, top bill, Mm -hmm. uh, most of the wacky scenarios that happen do happen to him. It takes a while to kind of get the different feel of the different characters and kind of bring out their individual storylines. But yeah, I think mostly in season one, since he's the top bill, most yeah. of the crazy wacky things happen to him. That is, yeah, that is true. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, what shenanigans does Jack O'Neill get into next? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, shall we see what he gets up to this week? Oh, let's do. All Do-do-do. right. So this is Brief Candle. It originally aired on September 19th, 1997. The story is by Steve Barnes and the teleplay is by Catherine Powers. It was directed once again by Mario as a party. He come, he's back again directing another one. So in this week's episode, SG-1 discovers a race of attractive people who age extremely rapidly. The situation becomes personal when O'Neill begins to suffer from the same accelerated aging and must live out the rest of his life on the planet. Supposedly the rest of his Supposedly life. Supposedly the rest of his life, yes. This is not so. an episode where somebody dies and comes back to life. No, no no death this week. There was plenty of death last week, none this week, so we're good there. So we open on the shot of a temple and people just sort of walking in the fair in the foreground, sort of towards and around it. And then we cut to inside the temple where a man is praying, I guess, or like beseeching this the to the statue god when the gate activates and sg1 comes through daniel does not immediately recognize the god form like of the statue like who that statue is and then suddenly off screen off screen a woman screams 
And so SG-1, like, you know, draws their weapon and goes to investigate because woman screaming usually equals bad thing. But this time it's actually just a woman in labor. Everything's a-okay. And they're like, who are you? They think that they're of Pelops, who that's apparently that's the statue guy. His name is Pelops. But the no, statue is what, like, of a guy with a lightning bolt on a horse? Yeah, like, in, in a chariot with a lightning yeah. bolt. Yeah. Um, and Dan's like, no, we're friends. It's all fine. So, do you know anything about Pelops? I do not. Will you tell me? I will tell you. Fantastic. Pelops is another Greek guy. Mm -hmm. This is, I think, like the third Greek civilization we have. And we're in like episode eight. So, Pelops is where the Greek region of Peloponnesia gets its name from. So, if you're familiar with Greece, it's like, I think, on like the sort of the southern tip of of the country. So his father was King Tantalus of Lydia, who we'll get to Tantalus in a couple weeks. And he, his father, Tantalus wasn't the best of guys, as we come to find like, out. Is that like Tantalus, like tantalizing? Well, in I think two two weeks or three weeks, two weeks is the torment of Tantalus. So, but probably yes, tantalizing given what happens to Tantalus in the afterlife. So he wanted to test the fallibility of the gods, and so he butchered his son Pelops and served him in, like, a stew at a feast to the gods. Zeus figured out what was going on and, like, cast Tantalus down into Hades and luckily was able to resurrect Pelops, except for, like, a chunk of his shoulder that had apparently already been eaten by Demeter. So he's, like, missing a chunk of his shoulder, but they replaced it with ivory. Oh, so he's got an ivory shoulder. Young Pelops then became a lover of Poseidon, who Poseidon is the one who provided him with the chariot drawn by possibly winged horses or just very fast horses. The story differs depending on what source you look at for this. He later traveled across the sea to Greece to compete for the hand of Hippodamia, who was the daughter of King I'm going to mispronounce this, and I'm very sorry. King Oenomus of Pisa. Um, it was apparently prophesied that this king would die at the hand of his son-in-law. So he didn't want to marry off his daughter to anybody, but he eventually changed his mind. It was like, okay, if anybody can best me in a chariot race, then you can marry my daughter. But if I best you, then you die. When... Pelops got there. There were a bunch of like heads on spikes of all the previous suitors. And again, because this is, you know, Greek myths and stuff, the story is a little different depending on the source. One of the more common ones is that he sort of bribed King Onimaus's, Onimaus, is his, the guy who like looked after his chariot to like not put the wheels on like all the way. So during the race, his chariot like crashed and then like he died. But he, before he died, he gave Pelops the okay to marry his daughter. Is that one of the scenes where he, you see him laying in his dying breath? And he's like, you've bested me. You've bested me with your cheating. You can well, marry my daughter. Well, I don't think he knew about the cheating. But, yeah, you don't, possibly. You don't think he would be like, oh, my crap. Why is it that this time my chariot just didn't feel like working and the wheels fell off? That's just yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so he got to marry Hippodemia, which is great. Um, and then he possibly also, because the the charioteer who didn't put the wheels on all the way was kind of like a loose thread. There's 
some parts of the story say he then threw that guy off a cliff into the sea. <laughs> so he wasn't out there like and could come clean about what had happened. Well, what so. could he do though if the dad was already dead? Well, then he could, you know, I don't know, lead the people in an uprising because he killed he killed the king basically Pella what Pelops did killed the king which is you know not a good thing back in those times I don't think it's a good thing at any time I mean yeah it's not a good thing in, in, in any time but definitely not back then so that's basically Pelops he actually some of his descendants he's got some great descendants he's got Heracles which is a Hercules Eurystheus Theseus Atreus Agamemnon and Menelaus are some of his offspring so Greek mythology. I know. Isn't it just nuts? Anyway, so the guy who's playing the statue says that the midwife is gone and he knows nothing about giving birth. And guess what? As she went neither to Sam, because they all just immediately look to Sam. She's like, I don't know any. I've never birthed a baby. It's like, how just like, come on, guys. Really? I do that clip. So then cut to the opening credits. Well, so question. So if yeah. you were with your wife who is giving birth and you don't know what to do and these like mysterious people from obviously another land come through mm-hmm. and they they first are afraid and, you know, draw their weapons and stuff. But once they figure out you're writhing in pain, uh, they're like, oh, OK, we're friends. Would you then immediately ask them help birth my child? I mean, I'd probably ask anybody who was around. <laughs> honestly (laughs) i know i just met you and i know you could be evil but can you help birth my child and we'll get to that part later yeah yeah it's i mean but i mean daniel was like hey sorry we didn't mean to scare you we're friends it's all good so i don't and i mean there's a woman among them so if i'm you know a guy who knows nothing maybe i she's a woman maybe she has given birth i mean it's not i think a horrible thing to ask I don't know, but the rest of SG-1 has no excuse. <laughs> no excuse. Okay, so we come back from the credits and, like, Sam is helping the woman, like, she's, like, up by the head, like, helping her, like, sit up and, like, holding her hand and stuff. And Daniel's the one who's down at the other end helping her give birth because apparently he learned how to deliver babies when he was on a dig in the Yucatan. So, okay, why didn't you speak up earlier, Daniel? Why did you look to Sam? Maybe he just didn't want to deal with it. Maybe. So, but apparently on that dig, he had made friends with the local midwives after somebody on the dig had given birth. So I guess he wanted to be prepared just in case. And guess what? This is his second delivery. Daniel's delivered two kids. Uh, We sort of cut away. And apparently the guy we saw earlier, his name is Alekos. Alekos. Alekos is sort of out in like the main gate room with um, Jack and Tilk at this point. And it's just like Sam, Daniel and the wife giving birth. And so Daniel comes out and tells him that, hey, you have a son. Yay. And Alekos hugs Daniel in excitement. And Tilk tries to, like, give some sort of what appears to be, like, a traditional, like, Jaffa blessing upon the birth of a child. But Alekos just, like, runs off. And Tilk's just like, uh, okay, okay. So Jack starts complimenting Daniel on his child birthing skills. And Janice is like, great, thanks. Isn't this place amazing? It looks like the Citadel at Mycenae. And Jack's like, I thought you said it was Greek. Daniel's like, oh, well, so Mycenae was an ancient city in the southern Peloponnesus, ding, ding, region. And Jack's like, well, where's that? And he's like, Greece. And Jack's like, why, why, why do I, why do I even bother asking these questions? Because it's just big circles. Like, it, it is Greek, Daniel. 
make that conversation a little shorter. But anyway, the wife who just given birth like stands up and just walks out carrying the child. And Sam's like, shouldn't, why, why are you walking? You gave birth like five seconds ago. She's like, I'm fine. It's fine. And so they bring the child out to show the team. And he's got like this birthmark in the shape of a triangle on his shoulder. And he will be named Danelle. So they offer SG-1 hospitality in their village, which obviously SG-1 accepts. And Jack asks, you know, who, who are you people? Like, why, why are you here? What's going on? And they say that they are the chosen. And Tilk asks where their gods reside. And she's like, well, duh, in the sky. Like all gods, where else do gods live? In the sky. Cut over to the village and they seem to be celebrating the birth of baby Danelle. And Daniel comments that everyone is very attractive. And Tilk adds that they all look as healthy as a Jaffa. And yeah, everyone here is very... Like, they could all be on the cover of, like, Vogue. It's, like, pretty people town. And like spring Jack... break. <laughs> it's like Fort Lauderdale spring break. Jack is sort of making eyes at this very beautiful woman, and she's, like, making eyes back at him, and he's like, things are, like, kind of weird here. And Daniel's like, what do you mean it's weird? It's like paradise. And Jack's like, yeah, sure, eat an apple. Like, uh-huh. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. paradise isn't always what you think it is. And that, but no, like he's the one that says it, and then he and, gets offered food and yeah, he eats and it. Immediately, two seconds later, the woman comes over and is like, "Hi, I'm Kinthia. Eat my cake." And he's like, "Okay, great." And it's like, "Uh, didn't you just?" Also, Daniel should be warning Jack against that kind of thing. Yeah. But instead, Daniel tries to reach for some himself, and she's like, "It's only for you." So apparently, this little cake thing is just for Jack. Nobody else can have any. And they all find it funny. Yes. So uh, Daniel tells the team a little bit about Pelops and then Jack starts acting like he starts like laughing and like being really like weird. And we get a little sort of like camera POV of him where things go a little blurry fuzzy and some of the girls come and like take him away and like make sure SG-1 stays there and they take Jack over to the special chair and then this like cool drummy music starts and Kinthea comes out and starts like doing this dance of the seven veils kind of thing. It's very seductive. And she takes his hands and leads him away into a house of some kind. And SG-1 tries to follow, but they're again, like, no, you stay here. And so Alekos comes over with some goblets and says, unto every man, the creator gives 100 blissful days. It is a sin not to celebrate each and every one. So Daniel interprets this as actually being a 100-day-long celebration after the birth of the child. And so they buckle up. It's going to be a long 100 days. So then we cut to inside, and uh, Jack is in bed with Kinthia, and he's at the very least shirtless. And he kind of snaps out of the fog thing he was in, and he's like, what just happened? I don't – like, he has no idea what just happened. And then there's, like – a, a and bell what or... just happened is sexy time. It was sexy time. Um, but then like a bell or a chime sounds and um, other people that were out in like the courtyard come in and just sort of like pass out on the ground. And then uh, Kinthia is also passed out. And Jack's like, what's going on? He like, well, yeah, the, the weird thing is, is that like whatever room they're in, like naked and just sleeping, like everybody else just yeah. starts to come in the room and pass out. And he's like, what the, <laughs> yeah, and I think this like, was a group thing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, there's like one bed and then just like 
mats all over the floor. It's like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Um, so do you suppose that's like the marriage bed? I mean, yeah, based on yeah. sort of what we learned later, I'm going to go, yeah, that's like the marriage bed kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so Jack ties like a sheet around himself and starts like looking around at all the people that are passed out. And SG one comes in because everybody that was in the courtyard is also passed out. And they start like examining everybody, like, like what happened. And they just are kind of in a very deep sleep somehow, suddenly like immediately. And they realize Jack ate the cake and nobody else did. And he tries to like get up to get dressed so they can leave. But then he just like passes out too. everybody passed out except for, Sam, Daniel, and Tilk. And I wish we had a scene here of what happened with the three of them before, like, the next morning starts. Because, like, what did they do? Did they just set up camp and be like, well, I guess we just got to wait. Like, did they, I don't know, contact the, like, what Like, what did they do in the meantime until the next scene starts? I wish we had that. But this we don't. This is a prime example of what I was talking about a couple episodes before of, like, they, the timeline doesn't fit with you know, real life, but they do it, you know, to make a good scene cut from yeah. one to the other. But you're exactly right. Like, what would they have done in be- in between? Would they just have, like, sat by a campfire and told stories? No. Yeah. They would have been like, let's pick them up, carry them, take them back home. We're getting out yeah. of here. Yeah. Like, why, yeah. why did they just leave Jack there? That's, okay, that's the I have questions, I think, for right now. <laughs> why did they just leave Jack there, passed out with all the other people? Well, so did they also sleep? I think must have. I mean, they must have eventually just gone to regular sleep like Earth humans do. Because they noticed but... that everybody was asleep, but not in like a, like in an odd way, but not sort of in a holy crap, these people are in a coma type, we're in danger way. Right. So I guess they must have just set up camp. Yep. I guess. And do you suppose they have protocols with, they must have written protocols in regards to relations with planet natives i mean you would think so or maybe they thought they didn't need any because don't you know i think that would be the regulation don't like there needs to be a memo about that one in case it wasn't clear don't have sex with people on other planets (laughs) so the next morning everyone just like wakes up all like bright and cheery like let's go and then jack at comes at the exact same time at the exact same time yes they all fall asleep at the same time and they all wake up at the same time and uh jack comes like stumbling out of the little house and he's like back in his like fatigue pants and t-shirt and he's got his sunglasses on like he's like super hungover from like whatever happened yesterday and he just like plunges his whole head into the fountain <laughs> which i just is it's really funny and sam daniel and tilk they have no idea what's going on. They've been, like, talking to some of the villagers, but they're just, like, this is just what they do. They party all day, then they go to sleep, and then they wake up, and they party, and they go to sleep, and they wake up, and they party. Day drinking, yeah. Yeah, woo! So Jack orders Daniel and Tilk to go back to the temple to see if they can maybe find anything there, and orders Sam to keep asking questions in the village, while Jack just puts his sunglasses on and lays down on, like, the edge of the fountain with, like, no intention of moving for the next however many hours it takes him to recover. (laughs) He is not in good shape. So back in the temple, Daniel's getting the rundown of this place from Alekos. Apparently the ancestors of these people were so beloved by Pelops that he made this place as a garden for them and brought them here from beyond the stars. Pelops is a ghoul in case we weren't clear yet. So Daniel asks if there are any writings of their history and Alekos has no idea what the word writings means. He's like, right, what writing? I don't know what that is. 
And so Daniel points to uh, like the symbols that are on like the base of the statue to indicate what he means, like, you know, stuff that looks like this. Do you have tablets or anything with writing on it? And so Tilk then uh, interjects that the symbols are actually an obscure Gould dialect. Thanks, Tilk. That would have been helpful when he like got here, but okay. And Daniel says he would call it linear A script. Do you know anything about linear A script? I do not. Would you like to tell us? I would love to tell you. Oh, fantastic. So linear A is a writing system that was used by the Minoans. So we hear of the Minoans again. Uh, from about 1800 to 1450 BCE to um, write the sup- supposed Minoan language. Uh, it was discovered by the archaeologist Sir Arthur Evans, and it was succeeded by Linear B, which was used by the Mycenaeans to write an early form of Greek. The important thing is that no texts in Linear A have ever been deciphered. We still have no idea how to read Linear A. Ooh, but that the, is quite interesting. Yeah. So, but the reason it's called Linear A is that the it was written by using a stylus to cut lines into clay like we would write letters with a pen, as opposed to cuneiform, which was written by taking wedges and pressing them into clay to make letter, like the, whatever the, what you, you call the letters in cuneiform that are both triangular in shape, like 2D and also 3D. So they're kind of like a pure, like a pyramid shaped wedge was pushed into clay in certain configurations to make the writings of cuneiform. This was the first time we actually had just like straight lines to make writing. Interesting. Yes. Nice. Well so, done. So there you go. So that's linear A for you. Since linear A has never been deciphered, Daniel has, you know, no idea what these symbols mean or what they are. And Tilk says that the symbols are actually more like a sequence and not really words or letters so he like just kneels down and starts pushing on them and then this drawer opens and there's a little tablet and like a small stone and the tablet appears to be blank but then Tilk sort of takes the little stone and like runs it over the tablet and words appear and then he passes it over again and they change sort of like he's like flipping the pages of a book so it's sort of like early kindle gould kindle we got here (laughs) going on uh, and Daniel asks Tilk Daniel asks Tilk if he can decipher and Tilk says yeah I, I think so because it's an ancient Gould dialect and Tilk knows how to read Gould so back in the village Sam is taking soil samples and the woman's name is spelled T-H-E-T-Y-E-S I'm going with D-D-S as the the woman who gave birth Alekos's wife I'm gonna sure. call her D-D-S yeah. So yeah, she doesn't really ever say her name, do they? No, there's a lot of episodes where I only know their names because I like look up the transcripts to make sure I'm not like missing anything. <laughs> and like I have all the information I need for the episode. And I'm like, oh, that's that character's name. Great. It would have helped if you had said that. So she comes walking over to Sam and she's got a toddler on her hip. And Sam picks up a shell that she had found in her like diggings and gives it to her and asks her to give it to baby Danelle, who could use it as a rattle. The toddler is Danelle. And then you go, what? what? Yeah, because this, he's he's a year, 18 months, he's not a baby, he was just born yesterday, and he's like a year old already. Something is going on. And so Sam takes them over to Jack, and Jack's just as confused as Sam is. And then Thedeus is confused about our confusion, because like, don't you guys have kids too? And it's like, yeah, we do, but they don't 
age like this. So Sam points out a boy who appears to be, I don't know, 14 or 15? Yeah. Maybe. Asks how old he is. Thedius says he's 12. And Sam comments like, well, he's maybe a little big for 12 years old, but that's fine. And then we get another explanation of what a year is, because obviously these people don't understand a year. So Sam tries to go into like the really super specific explanation of what a year is. And Jack's just like, we have 365 days in one year. Thedius is like, we don't count time in that way. That boy is 12 days old. What? Thedius is 21 days old. And Kinthia, who Jack was just with the night before, she's 31 days old. Oh, man. Yeah. You know what, though? If they have rapid aging, that still doesn't explain why there are no old people. Because they would go through the whole cycle of life just quicker. Yeah, but... Like I was nobody confused about that. Yeah, nobody's like older than like 40 unless once they get old enough they're kind of like, you know, human old people and don't get around so well so they stay inside or something. Do they have like an old people's home? I don't know. I would have <laughs> I would have liked to seen that because because the whole idea was they found out that these people just age rapidly, like stupid rapidly. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that nobody would ever get old. Yeah. It doesn't. But somehow we don't see any old people. We do not. They just kind of leave them out. They talk so, them outside the village. <laughs> <laughs> they do like what the Alaskans do, and they just ship them off somewhere. <laughs> well, that's not very nice. Old people are still people. But wasn't wasn't that an ancient like myth of that's what I don't know if that actually I happened anywhere. But I thought that was an old myth of some cultures where like if you get old enough, you just kind of go out into the wilderness <laughs> when you're mm-hmm. when you're more of a burden on the culture than yeah than help. I mean, it could be. I, I'm not recalling anything off the top of my head, but it, it sounds plausible for some culture somewhere, possibly once upon a time. So back in the temple, Sam has now joined Tilkin Daniel. I'm guess I'm guessing she's, you know, giving them the information that they just got in the village. So Tilk has deciphered some of the tablet, and it appears that Pelops brought the people here as some sort of science experiment. He seemed to want to find out what the Gould host would be like in the future. So he shortened the lifespan of these people to about one 250th of normal. It doesn't say exactly how he did this, but Daniel suspects it might have been some kind of virus and some viruses are spread through bodily contact. And Sam's like, why? And Sam's like, why do you think this? And Daniel's like, well, only one of us passed out last night. And that was Jack who, he, he had bodily contact with one of the people here. So it now appears Jack may be infected by whatever is doing this thing to these people. So they head back to the village and they tell this to Jack when the, like the chime goes and he collapses and passes out like the rest of everybody there. But before he's completely out, he orders them all to go back to Earth to figure out what's going on. We're back on Earth at the SGC. We're in Sam's lab and Dr. Fraser comes in and tells Sam some of what she's found. She hands Sam a floppy disk. Young people, that's a floppy disk for you. That's the save button. <laughs> it's a floppy disk. And it's got like the, the images of like microscope scans of like blood samples. So apparently they took blood samples of people before they left. And there's this 
thing in the blood that is most likely the cause of what's happening, some sort of weird foreign body. And Jack's blood has, like, way more of these things than the people on Argos have. That's The planet is called Argos. Again, we don't get that in the episode. We just learn it in the, like, script and stuff. Did they take everybody's blood when they were sleeping? I, I, they must I, have, I, right? I so. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, they <laughs> took Jack's blood, so they knew that. Or, I mean, maybe they asked Didius for some of her blood when they learned that information earlier in the village and we just didn't see it happen because that would definitely be like, hey, I think that would probably be a, a click to Sam. It's like, hey, we need your blood because that's weird kind of a thing. So I don't know. Or maybe they just, yeah, maybe they just took some from people without their consent. So. Yeah. Did, yeah. We're going to assume that they just stole it in the dead of night. Yeah. That, that seems like, to be like the most dirty, likely. dirty vampires. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. Con- consent. <laughs> Consent is a good thing, people, even for things like medical procedures. That's going to need another memo. (laughs) Yeah. Get consent of people before you take their blood. Don't sleep with people and get their consent before you take their blood. Those are the two new rules and regulations of the SGC from this episode. How many memos do you think they send out? Like, because of the SG1 mission, (laughs) we are now instituting the following rules. Oh my god. Do not god. have sexual relations with people on other planets. <laughs> Do not take blood from people on other planets without their consent. Oh, just too too many to think about. Too many. <laughs> Maybe that's the thing we should start doing is what what are going to be the memos after this? <laughs> What's the new memo from this episode? <laughs> But anyway, so we see sort of like video imagery of whatever the microscope scan of the blood was. And there's these things in there that are not normal blood particulates. And Jack's blood has like way more of these things than the other people on that planet have. So something weird is definitely going on. They look like little tiny spaceships, don't they? They do. They kind of little tiny pyramid spaceships. They kind of look like the shape of like that tablet that Tilk pulled out of the statue, don't they? The kind of weird... Slightly mm-hmm. triangular, but like with like flat corners kind of a thing. Yeah, so I, wonder, I wonder if that's just Pelops was like, I like this shape. This shape shall be mine. And like, it, it's <laughs> I claim it. This, this is mine. This is my yeah. trademark. So we're back in the gate room on Argos and the gate activates and Daniel yells for Jack because apparently Daniel had stayed behind. And uh, Jack comes out from wherever he was and he's, He's looking a bit older than he was when Sam left. Something, Something's really, really up with Jack. And Sam confirms that what's happening isn't a virus, but that Jack has a lot more of the organism than the Argosians. And they're like rapidly multiplying, probably trying to compensate for like his natural age. So she says that after two weeks, Jack will be like 100 years old. And so Sam wants to set up a lab on Argos to try and help. And Jack's like, no, I'm going to stay here. You all go. We don't want this thing getting back to Earth. So they've learned their lesson there, at least (laughs) a little bit. Finally, sort of. Finally. So Jack's going to stay. They're going to go, go like work this out, translate the tablet. Maybe there'll be more answers there and that then they can come back and help the people. And maybe Jack, if they're able to do that quick enough. Back at the SGC... Sam is looking at the blood samples again and Daniel and Tilk are there now too in like an observation room in the lab 
And Sam realizes that the organism isn't multiplying, it's replicating. And Daniel's like, well, what's the difference? Machines replicate. So apparently this is some kind of nanotechnology. It's not even like a natural part of their genetic makeup or anything. So, but luckily Sam has experience with nanotechnology because she worked with it at the Pentagon, including possibly finding a way to stop the aging process. It's a good thing she was doing that instead of birthing babies. Yes. Which I don't quite understand how Sam knows all about this. Because when she introduces herself in the first episode, she's a theoretical physicist or something. She, I don't I don't know how they, she made that leap. Yeah, anyway. they, just kind of, they just kind of fit her to any sort of nerdery. Yeah, yeah any, ki- any kind of nerdy, sciencey thing that's not archaeological related, I guess, goes to Sam. The other kind of nerd. The other kind of nerd, yes. <laughs> so we got Daniel's one type of nerd and Sam's the other type of nerd. So back on Argos, Jack is still in the temple and it seems like he's like set up camp there and he's aged even more than when the last time we saw him. So apparently either he's aging rapidly within like a day there or it's been a few days since we last saw him. Cynthia comes in and like trying to be all like happy and peppy and sort of like get him back in a good mood and like wants to learn from him. But he's like, no, I no, not happening. He's like, it's not happening. Jack's like, I just go away. And Cynthia, like, doesn't want to give up, though, because Jack ate the marriage cake. Uh-oh. So, apparently, according to Argosian customs, Cynthia and Jack are married. Other memo. Because of SG-1. <laughs> memo number three. Do not eat any food given to you unless you are sure it does not bind you in marriage to the other party. <laughs> so, Jack, like, goes off on her. He's, like, he's had enough and basically just tells her the truth about everything. That, like, Pelops was just an alien. He's not a god. You're not the chosen one. You're just a science experiment. And humans can live for a hundred years, not just a hundred days. And Kinsey is obviously very upset by this and just, like, runs off back to the village. Good job there, Jack. Yeah, well then. You know what else I wonder, though, is... Yeah. If they are partying all day and enjoying life and there is an observation made about them that when SG-1 shows up, they're like, well, these people are obviously not laborers. <laughs> like, where does all their food come from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, yeah, where is all their food coming? Do- Who makes their clothes? Yeah, that's true. Maybe there's like some sort of food replicator thing I don't that Pelops left them. But yeah, I where mean- did the cake come from? And if that's the thing, like, SG-1 needs to bring that back. (laughs) If there's some sort of magic food replicator happening, they need to bring that shit back. Yeah, because that would be great. Yeah, but but I, that's, that's the thing that stuck out in this episode of, like, what is it, where does all that party food come from? Yeah, I did, I did, I did kind of, that was sort of, yeah, in the back of my brain, too, is, like, why make that comment about nobody here seems to be laborers, but yet they have, like, houses and clothes and food and everything. I have questions. <laughs> I have questions. Where's all this stuff come from if nobody does any work? That's the question. Yeah, and nothing seemed to be like in disrepair. Yeah. Everything was all like happy and brand new. Yeah. Mm, questions. Questions. So back at the SGC, Sam and Janet are still doing experiments with the blood and stuff. And they're in one of those uh, like containment things. It's like got the gloves on the side and then there's the thing in the middle that you're working with, but you don't want to touch it. And Sam has apparently put some live tissue in there with the little nanobots, but they're not doing anything. Like all they're doing is replicating, but they're not actually doing anything to the tissue. Like it, the tissue itself is not aging. There's just, they're just making more of themselves. So 
how does like the aging process start if it if it's not in the nanobots themselves and so Janet suggests perhaps there's something on Argos that's sort of the missing piece of the puzzle like maybe in their food or the water or the environment something and then suddenly the nanobots start eating through the rubber gloves of the containment unit and like alarms start going off and Sam rushes to like wash her hands and oh my god they're trying to spread. We have again brought back something not good even though we tried to be as safe as we could bad stuff is still happening. Ah, oh, shock. Another memo. Don't don't bring stuff back. Apparently. The whole episode is just filled with memos. It is. Memo, memo city, this one. So back on Argos, Jack is looking even older. He's got his hair is long and thin and white. And he's like looking at his notebook where at the top of the page it says, Dear Sarah. But then the rest of the page is blank. He's trying. He kind of gives up and throws it away like, meh, meh. I mean, man. How, I mean, what would you, what would you even say though? Like, how would you even explain this? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I ate the marriage cake. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now I must die on this planet. <laughs> so Alekos comes in and asks Jack if what he told to Kinthia is like really true, and like, are you really 40 years old? And then Jack's like, Yeah, it's it's all true. So then he starts yelling at the statue, trying to reason out, like, why would you do this to us? And Jack asks, what would you do if you had thousands of days to live? And Aleko says he would go out into the world and see what's beyond the borders of their village, because apparently no one has ever left just the confines of the village because Pelops would strike them down if they left. And Jack's like, that's not going to happen. You should go do that. And he's like, yeah, I could do that. And then I can come back and teach everybody about what I found. And then they could teach those things to their kids. And isn't that just like the best idea ever? It is. It's great. Go do that. Then some more time passes and Kinthia comes in and tries to get Jack to come back to the village. And he's even older still. And he's just kind of sitting in front of the gate, contemplating life. He's uh, playing a really good old man. It, like a really I, good, like angry, crashy old man. Yeah. And I gotta say, like the the makeup's like not bad. It's pretty decent, especially like the wig. Like it really does look like old people hair and like not super wiggy. Yeah, he did a really good job. And like the yeah. makeup this week, it's very Absolutely, good. Absolutely, I agree. He's kind of mad about his situation and and his situation and also like the situation of, of people on this planet that they only get to live for a hundred days. And Kinthia is well, there's nothing we can do about it, so why not just live life as we have it? They don't have thousands of days. They only have a hundred. So then she like kisses him, trying to get him to be happy again. It's great that she's still turned on by the old man. I know. She's, she's, she still thinks he's hot. So. She's still trying to make her marriage work. Yep. Good for her. Don't give up. So back at the SGC, we're in a briefing with Hammond, and we learned that all of the blood and tissue samples are going to be destroyed. Like they're going to be set on fire and crushed in powder. So they're like gone because apparently the nanobots have some kind of artificial intelligence if they were able to adapt to the environment of the lab and like eat through the gloves and they just can't risk that getting out of the SGC. And Daniel's like, we can't, we, if we destroy this, then we basically condemn Jack to death. And Hammond's like, I know I can't do anything else. And you know what? Jack's a great man and a great soldier and he would be making the same decision if he was in my shoes. Eddie would. Yes. I, 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 I believe Hammond. I agree with Hammond that Jack, Jack, I mean, Jack basically did. He's like, I'm going to stay here. You guys go. I'm just going to be here and live Bye, my life. Y'all. Bye. See ya. So. Don't eat marriage cake. Don't, don't eat cake, kids. So back on Argos, Jack, looking even older still, 
is watching a recording that the rest of SG-1 basically giving him the rundown of the situation. So apparently they've sent like a malp through or something with stuff on it for Jack. And so now that they can only work from computer models because they don't have actual nanobots anymore, a cure could take years. Also, all gate travel to Argos has been banned for the next few millennia. But hey, they can send stuff through. So if Jack needs anything, just let them know. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Some Argosians come in and start laying offerings at the Statue of Pelops, and Jack's like, what are you doing? And they're basically asking Pelops to return since SG-1 can't help them, and this just pisses Jack off even more again, and he, like, starts smashing dishes on the ground, and, like, Pelops doesn't care about these people, you're you're just slaves to him. And Alekos is like, slaves? Which apparently, the word slaves is a thing that gets through to these people. And he's mm. like, then I will no longer be one of the chosen. And people are like, <gasps> and Thedius says the same thing. And <gasps> yeah. but Jack's like, yes, that's exactly the kind of thing we need. Cut to a little bit of a time later and people start pulling down the statue of Pelops and it tumbles to the ground. Yay. Nothing seems to happen. I do like yes. how there's a moment where they're all like, wait, like, are we going to die? Are we going to like get struck by lightning? Wait are for we... it. No. No. Yay. Yeah. People are free. Theoretically, spiritually, even if not medically, <laughs> you know, spiritually, they're, you know, sort of free from their overlord. So yay for that. Jack and Kinthia are walking along like the shore of the beach. And Kinthia's like, we need to go back because like Alekos, you know, she's like, we can't leave the village and Jack's like no Pelops is gone it's fine let's just keep walking so we cut to night and Jack and Kinthia are sitting around a campfire and he's teaching her to play tic-tac-toe which I think it just it's that's so cute yeah. like <laughs> and she's like kicking his butt apparently and so Kinthia says tell me will you live the rest of your days without making love and Jack goes oh god I hope not uh, we'd probably just pass out which uh, speaking of passing out shouldn't they be passed out since it's now like at night like it is way past sundown good call uh, what's going on so the next morning Jack and Kinthia arrive back at the village but everyone there is still asleep and only Jack and Kinthia are awake Jack asks her again about the sort of no leaving the village thing and she's like it's like the first of Pelops's laws number one do not leave the village rule number two do not leave the village like fight club like do not leave the village apparently whatever is doing the make them fall asleep and wake up thing is at the village in the village there's some sort of proximity to something in the village that makes this thing happen and apparently jack and kinthia were just far enough away that it didn't affect them so but why didn't the people wake up what else what happened other than them being away what happened to make these people not wake up uh back at the temple Jack's looking at the statue and there's some sort of weird flashing light thing. And then Jack pulls it up, pulls it out and is like, I got to make a phone call. And then we cut to SG-1 coming back in like full hazmat gear. Jack comes out to greet them and he's looking, he's like very, very old. Like his hair is very thin. He's like kind of hunched over and just, but you know, other than a slight prostate problem, he's fine. It's all good. It's fine. Then, for some reason, SG-1 is just then not in their hazmat gear anymore, which, like, why were you in the hazmat gear? Like, if you're in the hazmat gear, you're in it for a reason, and you haven't yet figured out that it's safe to take off the hazmat gear. So, why did they take it off? I don't know. Also, not sure how they got a loud 
back. Yeah, but... I like I do wonder what Jack told them mm. to yeah get the clearance for them to come back. He was like everything's fine. It's all, all good. good. Didn't pass out last night. <laughs> like what did he say? We're all fine. It's another missing scene that I would like. How did that conversation go and what did Jack say? That'd be mm-hmm. nice to know. But anyway, so Jack SG-1 is out of their hazmat and Sam confirms that the device Jack pulled out of the statue is a transmitter. And Daniel then adds that there were two sets of glyphs on the tablet that were difficult to translate until until Tilk realized that they were numbers and not words. So those symbols were basically like a radio frequency that would be sent out by the statue to the nanobots. One activated them and put them to sleep, which is when they would do their work with like the aging process. And then another frequency to turn the nanobots off and wake everybody up. And apparently the one that wakes everybody up is the one that got damaged. So Sam can't fix the one that's broken, obviously, because alien technology but they brought equipment that will do basically the same thing because it's just like a radio frequency. So she turns on her equipment and we cut back to the village and everybody starts to wake up, but they're confused because it's like noon and they're like, why did we sleep for so long? Shouldn't that mean everybody would have been aging longer too? Yeah, these people should be aging. They were not. They were not. No, they're the same age apparently as they were when when they went to sleep. So then we just cut to some time later and... Jack's body is apparently now free of the nanocytes. I didn't, um, I didn't really. This, yeah, this was a really weird. It went from, why is it noon to, hey, you're free of the nanocytes. Okay, this was like the worst. This is like the worst explain everything away. Yeah. There's, there's a real big jump that we could have had some more stuff in here because yeah this is kind of a really weird jump in time but anyway sam basically hypothesizes that his immune system must have just attacked all the nanobots while they weren't operating while he was like away from the village okay i guess sure and apparently the argosians are now going to start aging at a normal rate so apparently they turned off the other device that was in the statue and the nanobots are no longer operative I guess that that's what we're to assume has happened. Yeah, it uh, really is like the worst explaining in a way ever, especially the next line, which I'm sure you're going to say. Uh, well, Cynthia asked Jack what he's going to do. And he's like, I'll probably go retire in Florida. And Sam's like, you're going to look kind of out of place at your age. And Jack's all, I look, I look just like my grandpa, but um, apparently he won't because now that the nanobots are no longer active, he's going to de-age back to his normal Jack appearance because they were only imitating the aging process in Jack and not actually aging him. Like internally, he's still 40 or 45, whatever his age is, but externally he looks, you know, 80. Uh, No sense. No, it makes, I do not understand this at all. No sense whatsoever. It's it's the worst explain it away because that means that that would have happened to everybody. So like, yeah, like Everybody, everybody would have gone back to being, you know, age. babies or, you know, 20, whatever. Everybody's 21 days old now, like, and there's no it, adults left. It just, it makes no sense why he would no. be getting young again rather than just right. staying the way he is and being back to normal. Just no sense. No. Magic of sci-fi television. Yay, yay sci-fi. 
Magical sci-fi television. Yeah. I wonder if that was like a writer's meeting that they were like, okay, so we just have to find a way to make it that he'll go back to normal. What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? It's like three in the morning. Give me all your ideas. We got to get this done by tomorrow. And someone's like, mm, well. He's not actually aging. It just looks like he's aging. But then he, he was still being changed on like a molecular level to look because like his hair was growing. His hair was white and like thin and like falling. Yeah. And everyone else was actually aging rather than just replicating being yeah. aging. That, yeah. that is a 3 a.m. writer's room call where they're just yeah. like, crap, we have to get this done. Yeah. The, the ending is the ending is a little sloppy on this. Boo on you writers, boo. Should have had that other cup of coffee. So Sam, Tilk, and Daniel kind of like leave Jack to say goodbye to Kinthea because she's, you know, very sad that Jack's going back to Earth. And he assures her that Pelops won't be returning, but maybe the SGC will send people every now and then to check in and make sure that everything's all fine. And Kinthea goes, my heart would be glad if you were one of them. Daniel goes, sweet Kinthea, I've learned so much from you. I'll treasure every day of my life because of you. Kinthea goes for thousands of days. Neil goes, I sure hope so. Kinthea goes, that's almost forever. And Jack goes, almost. And then gives her a kiss on the cheek. No. And that's the end. And everything is happy. Yay. So, episode title, Brief Candle. Do you have any guesses about where this episode title may have come from? Uh, the Elton John song, Candle in the Wind? No. <sighs> no, I have no idea. It's from Macbeth, Act 5, Scene 5. Oh, damn so spot. I get to talk about my favorite guy, Shakespeare. He's my, he's my favorite. So, it's from his soliloquy, you know, near the end of the play where everything's gone to shit. And he's sort of lamenting the futility of life. And um, <clears throat> I shall now attempt my best, Shakespeare, to give you the soliloquy where Reef Candle comes from. <clears throat> tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time and all our wait, wait, yesterday. I'm going to stop you. Okay. Wasn't there a study done that compared the proper accent oh. to, to fit with how the yes. the uh, iambic pentameter goes? And it, it was most compared to a southern accent? Yes. Yes, it should. Shakes, people in Shakespeare's time probably talked with a southern accent, not what we know as the British accent of today. According to so. research. So proceed appropriately you want me to do the accent i do you know <laughs> i do goodness okay <clears throat> tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death out out brief candle life's but a walking shadow a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more it is a tale told by an idiot Full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. See, wasn't that so much better? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but so there you go. Brief candle, I think, fits like this episode. Like they get a hundred days, futility of life, blah blah blah. Out, out, brief candle. So the flip side of this, though, is now that they actually live way longer. Do you think they're just gonna party and party and party and eventually be like, crap? 
we have to like do stuff now because we can't yeah will the HTC send people to help them adjust because their population's gonna explode and they're gonna have to learn to take care of regular sized babies they're gonna have to learn about child care and farming and irrigation and cooking they basically they basically ruined that population they they ruined that (laughs) civilization they actually kind of did yes like you could argue it's for the greater good because forcing people to live for only 100 days is a really, really shitty thing to do. But if you then make it so they live normal lives, you must then help them adjust to that, I would say. Right. Like if yeah. your entire civilization is based on making absolutely every moment of every day count because you only have a little over three months to live and yeah. then you're living for like... 85 years that yeah yeah. and like medicine are they gonna like start getting sick now are they gonna get like colds and like illnesses and what if they break a bone yeah there's there's a lot of stuff that they're gonna have to adjust to that i really think the sgc is now on the hook for helping them with which of course they won't though they're just gonna be like bye thanks or maybe like SG15 got that job. We're going to send in the SG social workers to help you. <laughs> yes. There you go. The people that will teach you how to live. Yes. People. Yeah. And then they what, will what, take what, home a food replicator. What, what was that? What was that debriefing like? Hey, we saved these people, but now they're going to live forever. Uh, they don't know how to do. <laughs> they don't know how to do that anything they're pretty much all going to die because they don't know how to support themselves well done guys congratulations job well done also we didn't bring anything home but a weird mysterious virus sorry nanotechnology thing sorry (laughs) but hey we look we 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 can now read linear a that's what they brought home they can read linear a now and daniel jackson is going to be super famous because tilk can't be super famous so daniel jackson is going to be super famous with ciphering all of the linear a texts that are sitting in museums fantastic here you go (laughs) (laughs) well not even that if all of the texts say stuff about aliens and gold technology (laughs) what what do all the linear a texts say (laughs) was it yeah is it all about bellops and the various gold and stuff Hmm. Uh, anything else about this episode that we kind of skimmed over you want to talk about? No, that's it. Okay. Well, then, uh, thank you all for listening this week. As always, you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch or send us an email at woo, that's W-O-O-S-G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next week for Thor's Hammer. Bye. Bye.